Hi, I'm Helen Avery with the Green Finance Institute, and you're listening to our podcast, Green is the New Finance. This week, I'm joined by Annette Nazareth, operating lead on the new task force set up by Mark Carney, the task force on scaling voluntary carbon markets. We're setting standards, and that's that's what markets do, right? If, if you create you know, a robust market with transparency, standardization, you try to build liquidity, you have the proper demand signals. I mean, we think there's going to be a tremendous need for this because I think we're at a point now where this is really ready to be scaled up very dramatically. So welcome. This week, we're going to be talking about carbon offsets and also how to create an entirely new financial market geared to support the movement of capital to reach our climate and environmental goals. So I'm really excited um, that I'm going to be joined by Annette Nazareth. Annette is a U.S. attorney with Davis Polk Law Firm, and in her previous career, she was with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, and was appointed SEC Commissioner. She's also, uh, as mentioned, the operating lead on the Task Force on Scaling Voluntary Carbon Markets. Um, So really looking forward to having her on. And just a quick note that I spoke to Annette just before Joe Biden was confirmed as US president-elect. So Annette talks about her hopes of a Biden administration. So just wanted to let you know, thanks for tuning in as always, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. So hi, Annette. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Big week. I'm doing fine today. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for having me. So to start, for everyone at home, can you share with us what the task force is and the role of carbon offsets in the larger climate challenge facing us? So our key challenge uh, with the task force and what I like to think of as our North Star, essentially, uh, is to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And that requires global greenhouse gas emissions to be cut in half by 2030 and reduced to net zero by 2050. So to achieve these very uh, aggressive goals, deep and rapid reductions must begin immediately. And even with reductions, there will be some organizations or sectors that will continue to emit greenhouse gases. Uh, They're sources of gases that can only be eliminated, let's say at prohibitive expense, or simply can't be eliminated at all in the time frame that we're talking about. So that's where these carbon credits come in, or these offsets. So what is a carbon credit? I mean, that's a, obviously a pretty fundamental <laughs> question, right? Uh, a carbon credit represents a verifiable quantity of greenhouse gas emissions for which buyers can claim credit as a result of financing the reduction or avoidance of carbon emissions, or the removal or sequestration of greenhouse gases already in the atmosphere. So to ensure that companies across the globe are encouraged and confident to reduce emissions on a voluntary basis through the purchase of carbon offsets, we need a well-functioning, transparent, and liquid voluntary carbon market So that's really the driver of the task force's work. We want to harness the expertise of our task force members to develop a blueprint for voluntary for a voluntary carbon market. And that's what our our focus has been. So that's a very big uh, task. And uh, and we've had some very uh, 
tough taskmasters. And so we've actually addressed this in a very aggressive time frame. Well, that's right, isn't it? Because when did you get together? Was it September? Yes, and it was just a few months ago. And we've been meeting uh, very frequently and uh, certainly had uh, a lot of help from an operating team that uh, is working, it seems, 24-7 behind the scenes to help us put this together, but uh, from McKinsey and others. But um, uh, but it's been a very productive, uh, very productive process. And um, you have some recommendations that are coming out this week, and we'll we'll come on to those um, a bit later. Right. Um, before we um, sort of dive into how you create a market, um, what might it entail? What does it mean for nature-based solutions and carbon capture technology? Um, I wondered if it's um, worth us sort of talking about the concerns people have. We can maybe just put them to rest for people. So I'm a huge fan of carbon offsets and a voluntary market, but I know some people fear that offsets can be used like a get-out-of-jail-free card, uh, not just by companies but individuals. So we can go, oh, I can just, you know, emit and have a huge carbon footprint and fly five times a year and I'll just offset it. Um, so what do you what do you say to people who perhaps – uh, do have concerns? Well, I think that's a legitimate question. I think of them as indulgences. Perhaps it's my religious background, but, um, <laughs> but I, it's a legitimate question. Um, the fact that the uh, private sector is really hungry for a solution and hungry for a means of adding value here, of finding a way to contribute to this process, I think is very positive. I think what we will see is that carbon will be more appropriately priced as you have markets that function more efficiently and effectively. And so this notion of being able to get a get out of jail free card or an indulgence for a very small price will in fact not be the case. I think you'll find that the pricing of the offsets will go up really quite dramatically and will in fact be a substantial contributor to the financing of projects that will truly reduce uh, carbon emissions. And so I think there are some concerns that people have today. I'm not saying that they're not legitimate, but I think that there are answers to it. And and again, the task force is not saying that carbon offsets are the only answer. They're a supplement to a whole host of things that we're all going to have to commit to to get to our, our, our goals. It must be so exciting just hearing you talking about the, the price of carbon increasing. So exciting to projects that have been sort of desperately searching for a way of funding those projects through the sale of carbon credits. And we'll come on to those in a, a moment. But I wanted to talk to you about the development of a market, because this is really exciting. I mean, it, it's not just a task force for um, offsets. It's a task force of scaling them up, for creating a market. There's a lot that goes in there. And um, you have this very, very deep background in regulation and market expertise. Spent nine years at the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as director of the Division of Market Regulation and then as commissioner. And some might think carbon offsets, especially car uh, voluntary carbon offsets, are quite divorced from traditional markets, sort of the financial markets, what banks are doing, what traders are doing. What excited you specifically about this task force and the role you could play there, given your background? Well, thank you for that question. Um, Look, I love markets. So given that, uh, I looked at this as another markets challenge. It's certainly a different asset class, um, but we're seeing lots of new asset classes today, including digital assets and blockchain securities and things. So there, there are lots of um, 
new opportunities uh, in the markets that uh, are very interesting to be involved in. This one has the benefit of not only you know bringing together market markets expertise, but working on something that is incredibly important to us as a society and and uh, to the planet, frankly. And it um, actually, as we go through sort of what the things are that we focused on, they're really very um, comparable to the attributes that one would expect of any well-functioning market. We always said at the SEC, you know, that, you know, we we oversaw the deepest and most liquid and highest integrity markets in the world. And we're very proud of that. But there, there are certain things that one can look to to ensure that you do have a well-functioning market. You need market oversight, you need integrity, you need to you need to ensure that the people who are participating in the market have integrity, you need transparency, you need venues that efficiently bring buyers and sellers together and aggregate liquidity. All those things are, you know, when you think about the New York Stock Exchange, say what makes it what it is. Well it's all the, it's all those things, right? And you know, really the attributes that have made existing markets successful are those that we would certainly look to for uh, comparable success in a carbon offset market. Mm. You know, this podcast is about mobilizing capital to solve global environmental challenges and the creation of a market is exactly that. So I don't know if you can, you touched on some of them here, but if you could talk us through some of the core elements needed for a scalable market to work in the context of uh, specifically voluntary voluntary carbon offsets. Sure, let me talk about that a bit because first we had to start with what is the current you know landscape. So today there are challenges in the offset markets clearly. Um, there's a lack of standardization concerning accounting and verification. Sellers face unpredictable demand. Markets are largely over the counter at this point and they suffer from low liquidity and from opacity. So um, given that current landscape, the task force focused our efforts on six thematic categories, which at the time we worked on, we called them um, unlocks, what what was going to unlock this uh, market. So I can describe those briefly, and I'd like to go into them in a little bit of detail because I think um, it gives you sort of a better sense, concrete sense of what we were trying to do. Love that. So the first one was establishing core carbon principles and and what we call taxonomy alignment. So we're all sort of speaking the same language, right? So we called for a set of high-level principles that address threshold quality criteria that an offset should adhere to. And then uh, that standardization brings us to our second building block, which is, as I uh, alluded to, to create exchange-traded core carbon reference contracts. So when you create a core contract, that will allow for significantly more efficient matching of buyers and sellers, which would ensure greater liquidity and increased price transparency, because we would have uh, reporting of those trades, and we'd have a well understood price for the core contract. That's another big problem. If you don't if you don't know what the prices are, you don't know if you're getting a good price, or you don't know what's fair, that certainly um, doesn't lead to robust markets. So, uh, and then we'd have 
attributes or qualities that could go sort of uh, in addition to the reference contract that um, would trade at a basis point adjustments to the standard. So just to stop sure. you on that one then. So when you say that they can trade at a, a basis point above above or yeah. below, so it, does that sort of take into account um, if it might be a carbon offset with a big social or biodiversity kicker or exactly. maybe it's in a region where there's a price differential yes. needs to be accounted for? Exactly. Right. Okay. So the market could accommodate those additional attributes by trading at some adjustment to the uh, core reference contract. Right. Great. Then the third, uh, the third uh, issue we had was uh, related to infrastructure. So those would include, not surprisingly, exchanges, right, on which carbon contracts can trade, clearinghouses, and market data providers, uh, and banks and other market participants who can provide lending facilities for the uh, project developers. The fourth key point that we looked to was to build consensus on the legitimacy of offsets. That's that's really key. And you mentioned earlier, Helen, that there there are some issues. And so we, we want to be sure that the task force uh, focused on how to shift the public's uh, perception and skepticism. Mm-hmm. Um, our fifth point was, uh, not surprisingly, market integrity. We'll just as we do in more traditional markets, focus on know your customer, anti-money laundering issues, uh, verification of projects, which is very important. You know, one of the things we talked about in the course of our deliberations is that, you know, those who are um, purchasers of offsets, they need good information and they have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders to ensure that what they're buying has integrity. And finally, we focused on demand signals. You had mentioned earlier about the importance of demand. We need to align investors on the use of offsets to help increase the demand for offsets. So um, those are our our sort of six guiding uh, principles. And um, everything that we have done and the group sort of keys off of that. And there's, of course, as you can imagine, Lots to do from here to there, but um, but I think we made very good progress on those on those issues. Yeah, I know, and and, and these are the recommendations that are announced this month in November. Yes. What's the response been of the finance sector about how that infrastructure is going to get built, and you know, they're excited about it. I'm assuming it's a commercial opportunity. They would be. Well, I think there certainly there's a look. I think there's a commercial opportunity for sure. Um, and I don't think that commercial opportunities are frequently lost on the financial sector. Um, but that said, I think there's also, as there is sort of across the board, a real commitment to making a difference. But um, I think that the ecosystem, obviously, the financial sector is is critical uh, to that. They um, always serve as uh, you know intermediaries. They bring together buyers and sellers. They direct capital to where it's uh, it's most needed. Um, and so the, the traditional functions of the financial sector are very well suited uh, for this market as well. And I think that uh, they will, you know, be very active and very much embrace this. So out of interest, Annette, does this complement the work already underway in carbon trading at banks? I would think that it would. Um, I would think that to, certainly we have, you know, energy traders today. And I would think that this is sort of a could be a supplement to that, whether it uh, 
It also involves project finance. I mean, it could it could be sort of expansive in terms of the um, number of areas within financial services firms that are involved in this. Um, mm -hmm. But um, I would think that it is um, supplemental to what they're doing as opposed to uh, a completely new effort. So when it comes to voluntary carbon, what kind of roles can we expect the financial industry to play or start to develop? You mentioned project finance, so perhaps loans, um, trading. Yeah, I would think I would think all of the above. I, I would think that the financial sector will always look for ways to uh, to be involved, whether, uh, as I said, as intermediaries, bringing buyers and sellers together, um, being participants in the platforms. They may be market makers in in some of these products. Um, they certainly will uh, provide loans. They, they will be involved in project finance, presumably. Uh, market data, ratings systems that, you know, rate whether, you know, the, the projects uh, have are there or have the integrity that, uh, or meet the standards uh, that are being set. So there, there's going to be a role for a number of firms that I would say are in the financial ecosystem. And I'm sure that there'll be a lot of enthusiasm for them to participate. I am sure. Uh, and it's exciting to hear sort of new jobs will be created as well. Yes. So one thing we've been thinking about at the Green Finance Institute is how we can mobilise capital at scale to invest in nature here in the UK. And it feels like the work you and the task force are doing is going to be a massive boost to nature-based projects in terms of creating the opportunity for them to develop reliable revenue streams. In, um, in the form of carbon credits, um, which, you know, many of them want to do right now, but the cost and price isn't particularly supportive. Can you share a bit more about the range of carbon capture solutions, carbon sequestration solutions that may be included, you know, whether it's, you know, not just forests, but wetlands, perhaps blue carbon? Yes, I think, look, I think there'll be a, a core contract, but, uh, but I think that um, there will be a number of interesting projects that sort of come within the core principles and um, markets will develop, you know, as they should, let's put it that way. People, people will go to invest in certain projects that, that uh, they find attractive. And so we're not, I mean, the, the beauty of this is we're building an infrastructure, but we're not mandating exactly where the capital flows go. Right. And so we're setting, we're setting standards and that's, that's what markets do. So there's a real opportunity here. And again, it, it, this all does go back to what have we created, right? If, we, if you create, you know, a robust market, with centralized market with transparency, standardization, you try to build liquidity, you have the proper demand signals. I mean, we think there's going to be a tremendous need for this. And that if we build it, they will come. That's that's what obviously people people like to say. But I do yeah. think that the timing is very fortuitous because I think we're at a point now where this is really ready to be scaled up very dramatically, and uh, hopefully, you know, we'll we'll continue on this uh, very aggressive path so that we have, you know, a venues in place very uh, very promptly for for this to take hold. Fantastic. Yeah, I love it. I was just writing down, oh, if you build it, they will come. And yeah. <laughs> um, a, a couple of the things that, you know, people talk about around carbon offsets. One is this social element that uh, often gets discussed around job creation and the fact that many of the projects will be in developing countries. I didn't know if there was anything um, that had sort of emerged from the task force work so far or the recommendations that touched on those 
Yes, no, uh, it, it was very much of interest uh, to the task force. And we spent a lot of time talking about it. And where we came out is that while we have this desire to sort of limit the choice somewhat, to have a core core carbon um, product so that um, you know we aggregate more liquidity around the core product, there was a definite desire that it have additional attributes that are particularly uh, of interest to, to the purchasers. So whether it be, um, as you say, uh, social, you know, ESG type related uh, issues, or ge- we call them geography also, there'd be there's a lot of interest in investing in emerging markets related products. And so that is very much a part of this blueprint, recognizing that uh, that is something that's uh, important uh, and that we want to leave that uh, you know flexibility uh, in, in right. the market. Co-benefits, I suppose we might exactly them. Yeah. Yes. We've talked a bit about the recommendations that were announced at the Green Horizon Summit. Um, can you share with us a bit about the consultation process and what's coming? Uh, there is a consultation process that will follow uh, the summit. Uh, We encourage everyone to go to the uh, website that we've created called scalingvcm.com, where you will see both our report and a consultation survey. And that input will be taken into account to further uh, inform uh, our report, which will be finalized in January. It's very exciting. And we will definitely check your website out. Um, Taking a look perhaps at the bigger bigger picture here, you know, how does the work you're doing relate to government efforts around climate and the compliance markets? And just wondered how um, also this might dovetail with frameworks like TCFD. Well, you know, as I mentioned before, uh, ours is a voluntary private sector initiative. So it is not dependent upon uh, any of the mandatory uh, compliance markets or, or government uh, markets. And so uh, we want to sort of contribute to this effort by by giving the private sector the opportunity to participate aggressively in reducing uh, carbon emissions. And so uh, we're not dependent on them. Obviously, we're uh, supportive of, you know, whatever additional um, assistance we can have across the globe in getting to our goals. But uh, uh, that's sort of beyond our mandate. Um, you know, as to the work of, uh, as to disclosure and the work of TCFD, it's certainly something that's been very important. I mean, disclosure, transparency, these are all things that are extremely important uh, in a well-functioning market. And I think much uh, progress has been made by TCFD. And um, uh, in some sense, you know, that was also a uh, an initiative that Mark Carney uh, also uh, very much uh, endorsed and encouraged, uh, uh, godfathered perhaps. So um, uh, we feel like we're uh, somehow cousins of theirs, I guess, but um, but a slightly different effort. And then, of course, we have the TNFT that hopefully yes. we can look forward to. <laughs> I must say one of the things that one has to do when you start working in this area is to have a glossary of all of the <laughs> acronyms. Finally, is there anything we can learn from this task force and some of the work you've done just up to this point as we look to solve other challenges? Well, obviously, you know, to some extent, our work is bespoke to this 
issue. Yeah. I think the process that we undertook uh, certainly has been exemplary, uh, opened to a large group of participants uh, from all you know, sectors of the market uh, represented, uh, you know, we have over 50 representatives on the task force, uh, nearly 90 or more, I think, on the consultation group. Um, I think our members are across six continents. We did not pick people who uh, choose people who we thought would just agree on everything, which is good. We want full range of views expressed, uh, yet we asked everyone to keep their, you know, their business interests at the door and and uh, really uh, deal with this uh, as as uh, objectively as possible. Uh, so I think the I think the process that we've engaged in has been um, something that you know could certainly uh, be used later. I think the fact that we are publishing you know this for uh, publishing the blueprint for uh, consultation uh, before we finalize in order again to um, garner as much international support as possible and to truly reflect the views of, of um, a large group, uh, I think is, is admirable as well. So I, I think the process is certainly something that would have analogs in other uh, issues of the day. Yeah. And I certainly salute your incredibly efficient timeline yes. for, for doing this. That's incredible. <laughs> so, so just on that, we'll just, um, before we put to you our three favorite questions that we last like to ask everyone. Um, in terms of what's coming, as you mentioned, there is the website, there's a consultation period. Um, and then in January, will you be reporting on the results of that consultation period? What's next? Well, we're going to issue the final report and then we're going to be working on sort of implementing steps. I mean, t- taking it one step further and taking it to recommended actions. So our work will not be not be finished. We'll uh, we'll be working on sort of chapter two of this effort. <laughs> Fantastic. We really look forward to it, and it'd be wonderful to sort of watch that uh, in the run up to COP uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, as I mentioned, we have these three questions we like to ask every guest. So the first one um, is: What are we? What do you think we're not talking about enough of when it comes to financing the transition to net zero, Anna? Um. I think what we hadn't been focused on as much, and the task force is actually front and center focused on this, is on the role that the private sector can play. I think for too long, unfortunately, the dialogue has been around government action and the challenges of government action. And I think if anything, you know, we're we're sort of taking the bull by the horns here and saying, you know, we're going to we're going to charge ahead uh, with what we think are contributions to this effort and and hopefully others will join. So I think the focus on the private sector and what we can contribute and accomplish is is our is what I would say there's not there's not been enough focus on heretofore. Hmm. And if governments want to come along for the ride, even better. Happy to have them. And <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, question number two: Can you share one thing you do outside of work, if you have the time, that is supportive of a sustainable future for our planet? You know, it's funny because I would have reversed the question. I mean, I have been devoting a lot of time <laughs> to this effort, and um, it's not what I call my day job. <laughs> Uh, during True. the day, uh, you know, I'm a, a partner in a 
basically a Wall Street law firm, and I do a lot of uh, securities work, as you can imagine. So I would say that uh, outside of my work, this is what I'm doing to support <laughs> sustainable future of the planet. And it's, and we're so glad you are. So thank you. So <laughs> thank you. Doing, in addition to your day job. Yeah. Um, and just finally, can you share with us one thing you have read recently that has given you a sense of optimism? What have I read that has given me a sense of optimism? Well, I don't know if I've read anything that's given me optimism. I get, well, I guess what has given me a sense of optimism, and we'll know more uh, when, we, and, uh, when we have the results of the election. But um, if Biden wins the election in the U.S., it is going to have that in and of itself, I believe, will have a very large impact on the focus in the United States on carbon reduction. I mean, there's no question that uh, the Trump administration has not been as supportive of those efforts. And very interestingly, if you look at uh, the agenda that has been set uh, by Biden, um, climate change and racial justice are two of the top uh, issues on the agenda. And so I think it will, um, that has the possibility of really jumpstarting um, the efforts again in the U.S. and also the U.S. participation in the international efforts. So the possibility of that is very uh, uh, uplifting to me. Me too. I'm sure to to millions and millions of us too. And so, Annette, thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing about this really important work and what it's like to actually develop a market, which we really all need to know as we come into these huge challenges. Um, I can't thank you enough and um, look forward to continuing to hear about the work you're doing. Thank you so much, Helen. And thanks so much for this opportunity to be on your program. Thank you. That's all this week from us at the Green Finance Institute and Green is the New Finance. Next time, I'll be joined by colleague Ryan Jude and we'll be sitting down with UK Minister Kwasi Kwarteng. In the meantime, please remember to subscribe and rate us at all the usual places you get your podcast. Green is the New Finance is brought to you by the Green Finance Institute with audio production by Fairly Media.